Let's do this. The Cult of Podcast by the Faithful and for the Faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Bruce. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right, all things considered. Uh, Oilers game cancelled, uh, Condors game cancelled, but uh, at least that frees me up for my astronomy club meeting tonight, so, you know. That's a little bit of an important thing, <laughs> and it's not every day that you get an asteroid named after you. So congratulations, Bruce, on having a asteroid in our solar system. I guess we don't know about the like all the asteroids in other solar systems, but we know the ones here, some of them. Uh, and you of had- them. Many of them, and you've had one named after you, which is a cr- tremendous honor and congratulations. It's a, it's a, in in recognition of your lifetime interest, passion, and uh, promotion and work in the astronomy astronomy community, and well deserved. No, thank you very much. It's a, it is it is a fun honor for sure, and it's uh, there's about twenty three thousand named asteroids, so it's not you know that unique of a feat, but that's actually quite cool because some of the named asteroids are people I'm proud to associate with. Let's put it that way, and uh, it's uh, including some personal friends and uh, and mentors. So that's kind of cool in its own way. And, and Johnny uh, Cash, I hear Johnny. Johnny Cash. Cash, yeah, he was named right after me in that in the release of uh, it just just came out uh, late December. Uh, that uh, and his name was right after mine, the Man in Black. So maybe people will be uh, in there reading about him, and uh, <clears throat> they'll all be right next to him. So how cool is that? <laughs> will your will your asteroids travel forever? Travel the eternal celestial heavens are like close and in close proximity to one another. You and Mr. Cash. Uh, you know, I don't think anywhere any specific relationship that way. It just happened to be one no, one number the next, next one to the other the, in okay. the in the uh, in that particular month's uh, batch of honorees. So it's uh, it's kind of fun. Leonard Cohen's got an asteroid named after him, and Glenn Gould, and all three members of Rush. You know, there's lots of famous people up there. I just had a scary thought, Bruce. What if a, what if a hundred years from now, it's the McCurdy asteroid that destroys Earth? You ever thought of well, that? I, I, yeah, I have, and, <laughs> and I, I'm very confident that there's zero chance whatsoever of a main belt asteroid ever intersecting Earth's orbit. Uh, and this is, uh, it wouldn't be fun. Like it's uh, four or five kilometers in diameter, they reckon. So, but uh, it's it's not an Earth crosser, so it is nothing to fear at all. Kind of like me, right? Kind of dim and remote. <laughs> <laughs> but will it? Okay. Let's move on. I could. <laughs> oh, just wait a second. I got to go pay for a pizza any second now, Bruce. Mm-hmm. I'll just have to hold off on this. Um, Bruce, we're going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers signing, uh, possibly signing, possibly interested in, Andrew Kane, Evander Kane, possibly interested in the Edmonton Oilers. That's mm-hmm. what Darren Dreger is reporting. And I will read to you now uh, a little excerpt from Darren Dreger's report on uh, Evander Kane, who had his contract terminated today by the San Jose Sharks, or I'm not sure if it was today, this morning, I think. Anyway, there's an NHLPA grievance in that regard, so who knows what's going to happen there. But he is possibly a free agent right now. And um, here's what Drager said on TSN 1260 Radio today. He said, I know the Oilers have made calls. I know that Kenny Holland has talked to the agent Dan Milstein. Where the Oilers fit in terms of the list of teams that will explore the interest of Evander Kane? I think given the obvious, the way the Edmonton Oilers see a bright future, 
in not only Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but in some of the other assets. Evander Kane would be wise to look at the Edmonton Oilers. And I think Edmonton, if they stay as interested as it seems like they are, would probably be in the top five from Kane's perspective. And now that might be a bit premature. Again, this is all pretty new. It's all very fresh. Clubs are still exploring whether or not he would be the right fit. I believe there are at least 15, 20 teams max that have expressed some interest in Evander Kane, unquote. And he talked about how he would fit in as a hockey player with the Edmonton owners. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, as a, as a hockey player, Evander Kane still has a lot or something to offer to an NHL team. Certainly would be an addition to the Edmonton Oilers. That said, um, and this is me speaking, uh, there's serious allegations against Vander Kane, uh, yeah. both from his his uh, estranged wife uh, in, in regards to his conduct during the pandemic. Um, there's serious questions about him. Um, so I, what do you think about it, Bruce? Do you think, first of all, just do you think that it's worthwhile for Holland to do due diligence Take that step at least. Do due diligence on Evander Kane to find out what he's all about and see if there's interest, see if it might be a fit. Do you think that they should go that far even or just wash their hands of it as some people would have the orders do right now? Well, due diligence is, I mean, it, <clears throat> it is what it says it is. I mean, uh, how much of, uh, of what's on Kane's rap sheet is uh, uh, verified versus how much is... Um, uh, things that he's been accused of, you know, I mean, the league, the league dropped the charges, if that's even the correct word, on a, a couple of the allegations made by his ex-wife, and clearly there's uh, plenty of acrimony there, and which isn't to say that he's innocent, it's just they, they've claimed that they could find no proof that he, you know, I mean, these are very serious charges, domestic violence, and she accused him of not only gambling on hockey, but I believe on, uh, on his own team and that uh, there was, uh, you know, there was some very serious stuff in there, but the, the league exonerated him on that. And then he went and got himself suspended for uh, 21 games for faking a vaccine card. And now he's breached his contract according to <clears throat> San Jose and, the, and Kane and his agent and the players association are disputing this. They breached his contract by, uh, Flying, trying to fly into Canada while he was on the COVID protocol list and, you know, going across the border was a no-no. Apparently he lives in Vancouver and was uh, trying to get into Vancouver. So, and I mean, all this, that's, all this stuff is like recent in the last few months. And Kane's got a long rap sheet uh, that goes back uh, many years. Just some, some of it just foolishness, like uh, getting his picture taken, stack piles of money. Of money. And, and and stuff like that that kind of rub people the wrong way, but uh, but but some of it is uh, uh, is certainly more so than that. So due diligence is going to take a while. Let's put it that way with this guy because it's not just one thing. This is not a second chance that uh, we're talking about here. This is a a fifth or uh, on that on that order. And sure, he's a he's a hockey player, and he he brings a whole lot of things that the Oilers don't have. But uh, uh, so I guess due diligence is is, uh, but it has to be due diligence with an end result that can be. No, we don't want any part part of this. If you know, 
Yeah. I'm actually I, I, kind of surprised, sorry, just to complete a thought, I'm just kind of surprised that the NHL, if they accept uh, that he breached his contract, wouldn't say, okay, he's suspended for the rest of the season. I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't, legally, I don't know the parameters yeah. of that. Is that between him and the Sharks or the contract between, between him and the NHL or both? Yeah. So I, I can't, I can't answer that about the legality right. of the NHL taking further action. We do know, as you, as you pointed out, and you had a lot of great detail there that the, the NHL has investigated Kane recently. So if Ken Holland, I don't know how, who's privy to that um, kind of investigation work, or Ken Holland could call up someone at the NHL office and find out. Um, but he, he, a lot of this work has been done, as you say, recently digging into this player. And also the, there is a report recently on all these allegations. So that's one way for the orders to find out if that is open to them. And again, I don't know if that's the case or not. I, I think that they should do the due diligence. And I think that that due diligence should include, of course, and would include, well, maybe not with Peter Shirelli in, in terms of Brandon Manning. Although I, I guess he did talk to Connor McDavid, but it should include talking to the Oilers leadership group about bringing in a player uh, like this, who, you know, they're in the NHL. They, they hear, would hear a lot of scuttlebutt and a lot of people might even know of Andrew Kane. I don't know if any of the Oilers, have, current Oilers have played with him or not, but um, certainly have played against him for a long time. He's part of their club, um, you know, their... Uh, larger club of NHL players. So find out what the players think, if they're okay with it. Um, if they do due diligence and they find um, there's nothing that should prohibit him, nothing so egregious proven that should pro- prohibit him from, from having a job uh, in the NHL. I'm okay with, with giving, let's say he's made some bad mistakes. I think it's pretty clear that he has. We don't know exactly the nature of all of them, mm-hmm. but we know he's made some uh, certainly in the COVID uh, stuff. I just think, yeah. um, personally, I just, I'm okay. If they do that work, they meet with the guy, they meet with the, and they have the, the team okay in this. If, if they all think it's okay, well, I would be okay with it then. I, I wouldn't object to giving someone a fourth or a fifth or a sixth chance um, in life and see how he does here. Um, he is, I don't, and part of this, Bruce, is, I really don't expect hockey players to be a combination of Mother Teresa or Mahatma Gandhi. And and I also I'm also aware of one limitation that I have. Let's say we let's say we were going to judge hockey players morally before we mm-hmm. were going to cheer for them as for their on ice play. This is fraught because we don't someone might have great public relations and might might be the very image of the most respectable um, member of society but be doing terrible things that we don't know about. And there's no way for us to know. And there's also rumors that spread about players, and a lot of them aren't true. You know, I think we, you know, some of them are, some of them are, but there's no real way for us to know. So if we're going to go down this path of judging players, I think it's a little dangerous. Now you could come back and say, well, he does have this long track record. And that's where I think the due diligence is necessary. And again, if the Oilers decided he's not right for the Oilers based on that, I would be okay with that too. I just think... I'm not in a position, I don't think, you know, I guess you could be like an investigative reporter if they wanted to spend weeks digging into Evander Kane's life. It's not something that I would choose to do right now. You know, they could get to the bottom of it. The the correct people, the correct authorities are, if there's police matters, it's the police. If it's league matters, it's the league. If it's contractual matters, it's the team. This is a contractual matter. The team investigates it. If they were to decide to sign him, I would be okay with that. 
Yeah, well, I think the league, the league has to, uh, and if there's an appeal of against the termination of the contract, this could take a while, and maybe it's not the worst thing if it does take a while for uh, them to sort out wh- you know, whether San Jose is within their rights, and uh, if they're within the rights, well, wh- you know, what is the extraordinary situation that caused it? And uh, the fact that it's a second COVID uh, related violation after he got suspended 21 games for the first one. I mean, I guess termination of a contract's a pretty severe, uh, 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 pretty severe penalty. But if they just immediately put the player on the market, who knows what? The, for one thing, what the price would get bid up to? I mean, people will say, well, if signing for league minimum for the rest of the year, no problem. Well, if you got 15 or 20 teams, and that what you said. Uh, uh, Drager said, yeah. 15 to 20 teams. Well, that's probably from the agent, right? Dr- drumming yeah, well, up. Well, yeah, but I mean, even if it's five teams. Well, what if know. what if it's just two or three? Like, you yeah. know, it, it may be a lot smaller list. I, Drager clearly had talked to the agent, I think, from what mm-hmm. he was saying. I I don't know how big the list is, but right. I could see I could see Kane actually being interested in in Edmonton in the same way that Tyson Berry was. Mm-hmm. He could come here, play with McDavid or Drysaddle, and put up some good numbers in a short period of time and they get a better contract. So, I mean, Bruce, he probably would be, if not, you know, he would be one of the Oilers' best wingers. Is he better than Zach Hyman right now? I I doubt that. Better than Puglia Yarvi? Maybe, maybe not. But he's he would really, you know, based on his level of play in recent years, this is still a very good hockey player. Like if it's just an on ice thing, and if you can get him for a league, you know, for on a short term deal, just for the rest of the year, like is he's a rental essentially for the playoffs. You've done your due diligence. He's a rental. Yeah, that I could see that working for him and the Oilers, setting him up for if he had a really good run. Now he might want to sign with a you know a team that's frankly better than the Oilers if he has that opportunity. But they may not be able to. They may not want to you know risk signing a Vander Kane. Maybe Edmonton's. I mean Edmonton. If you're going to roll the dice, like Edmonton is the right team to do it in a lot of ways, both for Kane and for the Oilers, because the Oilers could use a boost and so could Evander Kane. And I'm just talking about the hockey stuff here. Mm-hmm. So maybe it maybe it makes more sense than, because I, I never thought until I, I till Dreger said that, it never occurred to me that he would come here. I didn't think he would want to. And I, I'm still doubtful. I still see this as the agent drumming up talk. I don't think he's coming here, but I, I'm not... I'm not against it. And I like just in terms of hockey, it makes sense. So we all know he's going to go to Tampa Bay Lightning. You, you know it, Bruce. You and and, it. and sign a contract that, uh, on the eve of the playoffs. And, you know, but then, seriously, I mean, to talk about him as a hockey player, I mean, obviously there's a whole lot uh, attractive about uh, what what uh, what he brings. I mean, 30 years old, 6'2, 210 pounds, fourth overall pick in the. John Tavares draft 2009, and he's had eight 20 goal seasons, uh, topped out at 30 a couple times in his career, 769 games. So consider that 10 seasons, 264 goals, 242 assists, 506 points. So 20, 27 goals, 25 assists per season, uh, and uh, almost a thousand minutes and in penalties, including leading the NHL in penalty minutes in two of the last three years. I mean, this is a ferocious player, uh, high volume shooter, lots of hits. Like he's got all kinds. He's involved in many different uh, aspects of the game, and some of those are, you know, 
I mean, some of those penalties are bad penalties. I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, is playing near, goes over the edge kind of time uh, on time. And, I mean, we already have a player that we know and love, Zach Cassian, who you would describe the same way. Well, Evander Kane is a whole nother level of that yeah. uh, that player. And, yeah. and I just want to I just want to make clear, like I've made clear that I could root for the player if due diligence is done, then they think he's he fits and he's the right fit and it's going to give him a second chance. Listen, people won't agree with that. There was there there will be a lot of people who will say like this guy has done bad enough things yeah. and there's enough smoke there. There's enough mm-hmm. to be fire. And I don't think he should come. I and I I'm completely OK if someone has that view as well. I get that view. Mm-hmm. Like that's not like it's not <laughs> That's acceptable for people to have that. I respect the view, but you know, he. Uh, well, we'll see what happens, Bruce. The Let's domestic talk- viol- domestic violence issue is a, a total red flag. Like you know that they need to be transparent about their due diligence because uh, issues like that are you know just not acceptable in this society. But, and he and you're saying the NHL investigated that aspect of it. Well, they, yeah, they, they, and they couldn't corroborate. It was their sort of, he said, she said was what I think what it came down yeah. to. So it's, um, I, it's hard to, I'd like to think the NHL would have investigated it. I mean, they took, sure took their time on other investigations, but once it became front and center <clears throat> in the news that, you know, he'd been, he'd been accused of this and they had to at least make the appearance of, uh, of uh, investigating, and they say they did. Bruce, let's. Uh, there's one other piece of news that came across today. You know, rumor, news, rumor. Elliot Friedman, who's got a lot of credibility as a reporter on his 32 Thoughts podcast, talked about Oilers GM Ken Holland rejecting the idea of trading away Edmonton's first pick, something that Holland had previously talked about. Mm-hmm. And now, and 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 what he's saying, he he didn't. He said he heard someone else talk to Holland, and this is what he heard. So, but f- from Friedman, I'm sure this is from an excellent source and it's, and it's credible information that this is Holland's position right now, that um, with the team, the way it is, he just wants to see the team get healthy. He wants to see, to see the team, um, how the team performs in the next month, and then he'll make some decisions like this. I think the key, key phrase in all this is for the time being, he's decided this. It's a, and I just see that as like some fans were seeing this as Holland throwing in the towel on the season. And I just see this. No, this is uh, him being reasonable and prudent. And, you know, it's one thing to trade away your first pick when it looks like you're going to be drafting 25th to 32nd overall in the draft. Yep. There's another thing when it looks like you might be drafting possibly when you're an injury or two away from drafting 10th in the draft. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the value of a draft pick, um, let's just go and we'll go with uh, uh, the Blue Bullet Report, uh, Greg McPherson's work on um, the Brad, value of the draft pick. So he, Brad the, McPherson. Excuse me, Brad McPherson. I think I went to school with a Greg McPherson. Oh, yeah. um, Brad McPherson's uh, work here. Um, so he values the first overall pick at 100, uh, a value of 100. And, yeah. and the relative, then he assesses relative value, value based on that. Mm-hmm. So the relative value of it, the first pick is 100. The 31st pick is worth five, is 5.4. So that's how much the value drops from 100 mm-hmm. to 5.4. If you're drafting, let's say the order's drafted 25th, the draft pick is a value of 10. Okay. Um, 
so essentially one tenth of the first overall pick. It drops fast. If you're drafting tenth overall, though, it still has a value of uh, 28. So there's, that's a huge difference in the value of a first pick between tenth drafting tenth and drafting uh, 25th. And Ken Holland's aware of that, and he's you know he. When I think about it, you know I was advocating trading the first pick um, for a goalie. Not a necessarily against it, but it's certainly something to think about. See, I think the orders are going to go up from here, so I, I'd I'd be willing to take that risk if you could get the right deal for the right goalie. But that is a risk that you fall out of the playoffs and you have a lottery pick, and you really suffer. And Ken Holland, it sounds like for now, is not willing to. Uh, he just wants to see how things turn out. So, I mean, this is the obvious thing to say, unless you really are rushing to fix the team. But he might know, they might know more about Mike Smith than I do. They might really think that Mike Smith is actually ready to come back and carry the ball. That might be a firm belief. And they might have knowledge about that. I just see Smith as really shaky. But maybe they maybe they know a bit more than I do. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, sure two, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, the lower you are in the standings, the, the more valuable the draft trick you pick you're trading away. But also, I would say the less likely that whatever you get back for that first round pick is going to put you over the top. If you're outside of a playoff berth, you're not going to just make one trade and suddenly be a contender for the cup. Like uh, maybe that Holland's taking a read on his team and saying, we're not as close as I thought. And this is a year too early to pull the trigger. And that, I know that'll send some people around the bend, but that, you know, that uh, could be his thinking. I mean, do you see a team that right now that looks like it's ready to, to uh, win a best of seven playoff series? No, but, you know, I didn't, if you had asked me the, during the 2005-06 season right. that I see a team, this this team has pieces that are better than the 2005-06 team. They're short some pieces, but then Kevin Lowe went to work at the trade deadline. He brought mm-hmm. in a goalie. He brought in uh, a couple defensemen. Two Was it two or one? Yeah, he brought in spot check, did he not? Yeah, yeah. Well, he brought in Pronger before the season. He brought, in Pronger, he brought in Patrick and Tarnstrom and during, during the yeah. season. Samsonov and so, Pekka beginning. So, like he made a lot of changes. Yeah. So yeah, I think this team is close enough. I don't think he's throwing in the towel though, and I don't think he's looking at this team and thinking they have no chance this year. Right. He is looking at this team and thinking, I want to see more, and and I have more time, and he's probably decided. Now isn't the moment with Smith coming back and possibly calling up Skinner again. Now isn't the moment to move on a goalie, even though David Staples says that's the right idea. Now, now is I'm just going to see how Mike Smith and Skinner do in the next month. Then I'll decide. And there's obviously there's wisdom in that as well, right? Because because maybe Smith and you know Skinner is good to go. He's been playing very well in the AHL. And if Mike Smith is that, well, you have two goalies you can you can audition. I'm still uncomfortable with it. But I can see waiting. I can see the argument for waiting to trade that pick for a goalie for a month or so because I do think the orders are going to—they're good enough to make the playoffs. And I don't think that's—I know it looks like it might be in danger, but I don't honestly think it is. And uh, I think they'll be—they'll be getting in the playoffs. And um, yeah, I do see a team that could possibly compete for the Stanley Cup. I still see it. Um, that might be some people might think that's odd, but um, if they get the goaltending, Bruce. Um, this this could still be a good team if they're all healthy and uh, if they come together. Why not? I mean, they have McDavid and Drysaddle. They've got Hyman, Pulley-RV, Nurse, CC. Keith's been playing better. Um, Evan Bouchard may step up a bit, keep, you know, keep progressing. So I'm not that. I'm, I'm still bullish on the team. 
most of those guys are currently in the down cycle, even the top guys in terms of where they can be versus where they where they have been this last while. And uh, Keith is kind of like he's playing, I'd say, better than he has at any point this season. But he's kind of going against the the fire rhythms of the rest of the team, if you will. They're they're all kind of down at the same time. And, and uh, uh, you know, there's been a lot of crap going down with Edmonton, a lot of. Uh, of uh, sort of incremental um, uh, COVID protocol things. And, and more than one person has noticed that players coming back from protocol, and Kurt's talked about this, uh, coming back from COVID protocol seemed to take a little bit of time to get up to speed. Because not only were they uh, not playing games, they weren't even even on the ice, like they were completely out of their out of their rhythms. And who knows from the physical side if it's that, that's just roster if there's some, you know, something to do, you know, some something to do with symptoms that they're getting over or, or what have you. It's uh, uh, they don't tell us a whole lot about the about the individual health of guys, and and as they as they probably shouldn't. But it's uh, uh, there's a fair bit of mystery to it, but the orders have constantly had guys going out, playing shorthanded, then the guys coming back, but not playing very well, you know, uh, and it's been, uh, 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 it's been a real, real rough time of it for the, for the team as a whole. Yeah. We don't know how sick they got during COVID. And even if it is like for them, uh, let's say it was a bad cold uh, or, you know, that could be really bad. As listeners of this podcast know, I get a bad cold and I'm coughing for like two months. So maybe they're hopefully hopefully they're in a little bit uh, they have a bit better immune response than I do. But they could be they could be dragging. They could be really lacking energy and they could have all kinds of uh, symptoms after a cold. It's not uncommon from colds and flus, regular colds and flus, to to be dragging for for a month or two after them. So. Um, yeah, the only others, the only of the key Oilers who haven't been on COVID protocol this year are Leon Dreisaitl, Zach Hyman, Mike Smith, and Warren Fogle. So pretty much, like in terms of the core 12 players, the heart of the team, yep. they've all been hit, and um, some of them. But there's still there still could be bad news, you know. Yeah. We could still get some of these other players out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the you know the Oilers will will have built up some kind of you know they're not gonna the covid won't spread readily on the team because most of them have got it already is what i'm trying to say hopefully that'll be the case but it could still take out some players bruce you um you watched the bakersfield condors uh off and on for the last few days you've watched parts of three or four games is that correct four games what are you seeing down there? What's you you have some good news to report i understand yeah well yeah i wrote a post on on uh Last night, this is uh, Monday that we're recording this, and tonight's game, the closer of the four-game, rare, rare four-game Bakersfield at Abbotsford series has been postponed because Abbotsford has COVID issues. So uh, the original, or sorry, Bakersfield was supposed to go up twice to Abbotsford for two-game series, uh, and the first one was happened to be right when they had that horrific flooding and, and uh, that natural... Uh, disaster catastrophe in the in, uh, lower mainland and elsewhere in BC. Uh, so they canceled that series. So they they stuffed them all together. And this weekend they got the first three games in, and Bakersfield won all three games in uh, Abbotsford. Uh, looked very good in the in the uh, uh, process. 
a major caveat that Abbotsford was less than 100% uh, significantly because of said COVID issues. And I think they were lost a couple of players to Vancouver's taxi squad and they're, you know, there's, they were short and they, they had, for the second game, they were short three skaters. They only had 15 skaters out of the out of the 18 that you could have. And for the third game, they were up to 16. And for for one of them, I can't remember which one, Ryan Holt, the uh, Condors uh, announcer, uh, said that uh, Abbotsford had three players in that game that hadn't been on the team when uh, when the series started on Wednesday. So they were sort of bringing guys in left and right to to fill holes. So uh, I think it's fair to say that Bakersfield was not playing a full strength AHL quality opponent, and it showed. But what also showed to me was uh, I loved the way Bakersfield played. There was, you know, they were they just came out and played their game and imposed themselves, uh, especially on Sunday, a four nothing win. Uh, Bakersfield was just by far the superior squad, and they did it by by not taking any shifts off, by uh, a team approach, very aggressive, very very aggressive on the puck, uh, behind the you know deep in the opposing zone on the cycle, but also pinching defensemen coming hard up the walls to keep trying to keep pucks in, and forwards cycling and rotating back to cover for them. The, the, the thing that impressed me was how often you could look out there and see all five guys on the ice moving their feet and covering for each other and playing with purpose. So, you know, the overview of the team play was was uh, very, very positive. I, I love the, their style of play. Uh, there were errors, of course. I mean, this is, this is uh, uh, minor league hockey, but any hockey, as you know, mistakes happen, right? I mean, even you make mistakes, I understand, from time to time. <laughs> and they made oh, some, I but... But they were they made uh, uh, lots of things happen, and they got they uh, uh, in in the most recent game they scored their goals by going to the net. You know, uh, um, uh, Raphael Lavoie, who suddenly woken up after a terrible start, uh, he scored two goals yesterday, both by just kind of cleaning up the garbage around the blue paint, and there was a rebound and on one and a turnover and a quick pass on the other, and. He, able to shovel the puck home a couple times well Lavoie he had I looked it up at the end of November they played 14 games and he had 22 shots on net and that's kind of his uh his his sort of feature stat is how much is he shooting the puck because that's what he does so one and a half shots a game from beginning of December to now they played 11 games and he's got 46 shots over four per game. It's just his, his volume has just gone up. He had six in each of the last two games, uh, scored three goals on those 12 shots, and and one was a big-time snipe from uh, high in the slot, and the other two were the ones I described earlier. But he's just way more involved in the game, and he's thinking shoot first. He's got, you know, that what Louis DeBrusque constantly refers to as that shooter mentality, and he's actually got it. And you want to see it because that that really is his strength. And there was one time it was a four on two and he had options, you know, that he could have passed and he mm-hmm. just fired away and, you know, created a rebound. And that's just as dangerous in many ways as a pass uh, might be. So uh, I didn't mind it. So uh, that's one good sign. Uh, How did uh, Broberry and... Samarukov play the two yeah. big prospect defensemen, Bruce. Let's end it off with that. Yeah. Let's. Uh, how did those okay. guys do? 
Yeah, well, Brovery, uh, he uh, um, <clears throat> he didn't play too good really in the in the first game in in uh, uh, Abbotsford. The second one, I only saw the miracle comeback where they they scored two goals in the 60th minute and then won it in overtime. I only watched the end of that game. The other two I kind of watched live. Um, and by Sunday's game, uh, I was liking his game a lot. Like he seemed to be out on the ice a whole lot. He was, he was, uh, uh, I described it as he was just kind of flowing with the game and the game was flowing through him. You know, there was one sequence where uh, they had a big cycle and uh, Broberry followed up with a good shot on net from the, from the point. And then the puck broke the other way. And, by the time uh, Abbotsford hit the uh, Bakersfield blue line, there was Brobery with a stick and kind of chipping away and messing it up. The guy tried to pass it. He picked it off with his skates. He kicked it up to himself, and then he's going north with the puck, and then he makes a good pass, and there the whole team is busting back in over the other blue line. And Abbotsford never even got near the net. You know, it was just, I'll take that. Let's go with it again. And so that kind of uh, of of, uh, of flow and his skating is so good. Like he'd make a lead pass and he just kind of glide in behind the play, but in really good position to join the rush if he chose to, or simply, you know, just be a support player from the back. And his, his I'm getting the sense that his game is maturing a little bit. And certainly the North American uh, uh, parts of the game, it's the, 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 the game's a little different over here and it's going to take a little time. Sounds like he's getting more confident and, uh-huh. uh, just showing what he's got and feeling feeling confident to show what he's got and within the game and deciding to that he can dominate things now and then. So yeah. that's that's what we'd see. That's what we saw last year in Sweden, right? Like up and down games, inconsistent players. But when he, when he was on, that he did he did you know flowing is the right word. He would just get the puck and flow up the ice and cut off plays in the neutral zone with fairly aggressive poke checks and stop them there and. Now, what about Sam Rukov, Bruce? Sam Rukov, yeah, he he's a uh, uh, he too is a um, uh, um, a disruptor uh, who will try and stop the you know the zone entry at the blue line as opposed to giving it up. Uh, and at least in yesterday's game, he was playing extremely aggressively, pinching up the boards, winning battles. Uh, he set up one goal by. Uh, first of all, making a great pinch up the wall and, and beating two guys to keep the puck in. And then they cycled and uh, Abbotsford got more and more tired. And t- twice more, they tried to shoot the puck out his side and he kept it in. The second time, he had enough time to pick out Cooper Marodi in the slot. And Cooper Marodi did what Cooper Marodi does, which was uh, make a nice move and a great shot. And uh, score is uh, 12th of the season. And uh but uh, Samorkov was a big part of that play. He had one other assist in the game. He was plus three, and I just thought he was—he looked—he looked really confident, which was a relief to see after the horrible experience he had in the NHL for those two minutes in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, I'm not judging him on that. That was just well, a, no, I, you can't. But I was just worried that that would yeah. really sort of take him a month to get over it. Right? Oh, yeah. And, oh, that's not the case at all. He he looked good. And the other D-man, just quickly, who looked good, who isn't even on NHL contract, but I bet he might be before this is all said and done. Vincent DeHarnay, great big guy, 6'6", 216, I think they list him as. And he's just a towering uh, defender. They draft him way back in 2016 in the seventh round. 
and he uh, he finished up three more years of college, and they thought they didn't sign him to an NHL contract then, but they did like him enough to give him the AHL thing. And man, does he look good! And he's starting to go get some offense. Like he had coming into this year, uh, zero goals in 80 professional games, and now he's got three, including the game winner in overtime, three on three overtime. They had this big lumbering defenseman out there, and he scored the winner, and he, he had an assist in another overtime. Yesterday, he got an assist with an absolutely sweet cross-ice pass from the right side boards by the hash marks. And he found Dino Cambeats uh, all alone at the bottom of the left circle. So it was right across the Royal Road and Cambeats slammed it home. And it was like, how do you even see the guy? And he put the puck right on the stick. And you think, that's not the sort of pass you expect from this style of player. And so he's got, uh, he's he's an intriguing guy, 25 years old, but he's a, I'd say, potential late bloomer with, with a chance, even as he doesn't even have an NHL contract at this late stage of his uh, career. He looks good. All right. Well, uh, we'll be checking in with Bakersfield a little bit more as things goes along. We don't know uh, how many games uh, they'll be playing. Uh, they're not, they're not playing again until Friday, unfortunately. Right. So. But anyway, well, Bruce, I got to get running here. So um, thanks for talking today. Yeah, we haven't got any Oilers hockey to talk about, but at least we got some uh, Bakersfield A, and and uh, hopefully the Oilers will play on Saturday as scheduled, now rescheduled against Ottawa, and we'll have uh, Oilers hockey to talk about again. So yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Yeah, I've also got a, I'm coaching a minor hockey week game tonight, so. All right. The big tournament. All right. Thanks again. Bye. So you've got a new post up though, right?